I'm sitting all alone. Yeah. What it is is what it is. And tonight, in just a few seconds, if you can wait because I can't. What it is. What it is. What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 186 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm Kenny Keith, and I'm joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, Ben? What is going on, my brother? Did you catch the Ric Flair 30 for 30, my friend? <laughs> I did not, and I regret it because everybody's telling me how awesome it was. It is fucking must-see TV. The guy, he's ar- he was already a legend, right? Yeah. He's become Woo! he's become even more of a legend in my eyes. I mean, you're talking about he gave me a, he gave me hope in life, Ken. The guy's got a tells the story of going on a 30 year run of drinking every day and wrestling five nights a week. I'm figuring I got at least 15, 20 good years left of me, right? <laughs> of 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 binge not, drinking or binge, wrestling? Binge drinking, of course, not yeah. wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> the wrestling career is over. You moved on to boxing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we welcome all of you to, to episode 186 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. I'm Kenny Keith. Follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. Follow Vince Cummings at Vince Cummings 81. And be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play. All right, Vin, let's cut the crap. We're late to the party this week. But you know what? Better late than never, man. Well, it's your birthday, too, bud. Let's roll through this thing. Let's get drunk. Let's do it, man. There's <laughs> something about a uh, November 8th birthday and boxing. Yeah. They're synonymous with one another. They are. They Dude. are. And my wife asked me, she said, what do you want for your birthday this year, honey? And I said, I want a loaded baked potato. Okay? That's all I want. And <laughs> right. Provide any protein along with it for dinner. Right? Uh-huh. That's all I want. And record a new episode of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. I mean, that sounds like a hell of a day where <laughs> I come from. Yes, it is. <laughs> Perfection in this little fucking hardworking world we live in. Uh, yeah, that's that's a hard catch, brother. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed. Well, we appreciate all of you tuning in once again to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. All right, Vin, this past Saturday night, as we kick this thing off with a little post-fight action, Deontay Wilder versus Bermaine Stavern. Part two for the WBC heavyweight championship of the world from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. Then I would like to go ahead and start this segment mm-hmm. by saying, Jesus Christ, <laughs> forgive me for my sins for actually thinking that Berman Stavern's chin has survived the last two years of overeating and inactivity. Because, man, were we wrong. Hey, I I will say this. Here's what I will say. Thank you, Berman Stavern, for being (laughs) that fat, that out of shape, that it was just over that quickly. We didn't have to sit through eight, nine rounds of bullshit. He clearly came to the fight to not throw any punches. Because I don't think he threw one. He threw four punches and landed zero. Okay. Well, I I didn't notice. I I, I forgot those four punches. <laughs> All you remember is the crow I just remember I just remember him. Yeah, the crow hop, <laughs> looping right hand, which is the most ridiculous punch. And I mean, we've got we've gotten on Wilder's uh, technique for years, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pile on. We know what it is. He no is, need. No he, need for this one. He is what he is, man. I mean, it's it's entertaining at least. It was like, oh look at that. Oh sidestep. Oh. Oh, skyhook. 
I mean, it was what it was, man. Thank God for him ending it quickly. Stavern was there for a paycheck. Fucking period. End of story. How he got a half a million dollars. Stealing. Jeez, uh, man. <laughs> if you could go pound for pound purse thievery for 2017, this has to be at the top of the list. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what Broadhurst got paid over on uh, HBO in Monaco, but yeah. Dude, when I saw the weigh-in pictures of Wilder and Stubborn, I just tweeted out, these guys should start a cover band for Fat Boy Slim. <laughs> I mean, dude, he looked such a sloppy mess. And then you hear the people trying to promote this fight at the last minute, no mm. doubt, because we know the names surrounded with promoting this fight. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. They come in last minute saying, well, remember... Last fight against Wilder, he ended up in the hospital due to dehydration. Now he has the extra flab <laughs> to charge his batteries till the end. <laughs> we are better suited this time. I was like, oh, my gosh. The only fighter who's taken Wilder the distance, Ken. Wow. <laughs> if you really take the time, Vince and I have over the years, I don't recommend it, but if you're feeling a little numb in the head, and yeah. you find yourself tweeting out something ridiculous, please, before you do, go back through Deontay Wilder's box wreck, <laughs> and it will completely purge your memory of any great boxing that has happened in the history of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, dude, look, we all know the plots and the subplots as it pertains to right. Deontay Wilder and the trajectory of his career, where it's been where it is, where it's going. We get this, right? We know Povetkin and Ortiz, you know, had the positive tests that let looked at two biggest challenges that right. Wilder was going to prove to everybody that he wasn't just a guy that, you know, was vulnerable and knocking over tomato cans. Nope, nope, nope. They become ineligible to fight. Wilder gets stuck back into the same pattern. Now, for a minute, because I love to watch Deontay Wilder fight, I feel some sympathy for him because I'm like, Jesus, man. I mean, this guy wants to take a risk. You know, he's been talking all this jive, but guess what? Now he's ready to do it. Right. You know, I believe him. These fights are signed. Let's get them done. Right. Right. Let's fucking prove some points. Let's <laughs> shut these motherfuckers up in the podcast universe. Right. Yep. Dude, I'm telling you right now, and we're always two or three days late when we, you know, come out with some profound statements or some observations or predictions on the podcast and things change so fast. As soon as we did the preview show for this fight, not a day or two later, the WBC announces that Dominic Brazil versus fucking whoever the fuck he was fighting. It was Molina. It was Eric Molina. Yeah. Was going to be for the a title eliminator spot. And I was like, what, 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 what? The groundwork is laid. Oh, yeah. There is a 0% chance, which then in hindsight proves our skepticism that his lack of promotion in his career has forced them down a road where they have to use Anthony Joshua's name. They have to name associate to the point where they make up 100% complete and utter bullshit lies knowing that the safety net of Dominic Brazil is there because guess what? The PBC and Showtime, their powers combined with a little bit of Mark Kriegel sprinkled on top <laughs> and a fucking turtleneck and a horrible goatee <laughs> will be able to sell the beef 
the family dispute between Deontay Wilder and Dominic Brazil. I'll tell you what, when that was announced on the broadcast, and it was announced like the Friday before or Thursday before the fight. Yeah, it was went, a day or two after we did the last show. So I, I at least want to give Al Bernstein full and 100% credit. Indeed. For, uh, of course, the shill of all shills, Mauro Ronaldo, you know, trying to paint the picture of, well, it's going to be a great fight as we've now had a mandatory met tonight while Dominic Brazil knocked out Eric Molina in the eighth round. And now he is the mandatory for Deontay Wilder. And Bernstein just has to go, wait, wait, let's, can we tell the truth here, please? And there's not too many guys in boxing that do it. And even when he initially breaks it down for Ronaldo, Ronaldo comes back at him. Well, you know, he did try to fight those two guys that tested positive for PEDs, Al. And Al goes, well, that's all fine and good, but he also jumped. They also jumped over, I don't know, three or four guys in the rankings that were already sitting there that, that didn't t- test positive. <laughs> right. I mean, a complete fucking joke, man. Look, man, the way the WBC to me, he, whatever relationship there is there between Wilder and Heyman and the WBC, you can't tell me. I mean, there, Heyman has a, Heyman has pull in that office. He's got pull with Suleiman. There's no way in fucking hell you tell me guys like Wilder and Stevenson have the runs they have holding on to belts and not having to face mandatory challengers that are legitimate in Wilder's case. In this case, they serve him up fucking complete garbage. And, and another thing I'll go into is this, the whole idea that now Deontay Wilder must fight Dillian White. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I get it. He's he's being offered three or four million dollars to go to the UK and fight Dillian White, and it'll somehow make Joshua Wilder even bigger. When it won't, it won't do a thing in this country. That fight will mean just as much as this Stavern Wilder fight meant. Maybe less. You'll probably get less viewers because it'll be on during the fucking day. But I I I don't get it. It do you want Dillian White somehow has become this fighter that everybody thinks because he stunned. Anthony Joshua with one punch in the sixth round of their fight that he is somehow the third or fourth best heavyweight in the world. And, and it would be somehow a challenge for Deontay Wilder. It would not. He's fucking Eric Molina. Eric Molina stunned Deontay Wilder. You remember that? Yep. Had him doing the two-step. Just because you land a punch and make a guy and you stagger a guy one time, you, you can't build a career off of that. Dillian White has looked like complete trash in three fights since then. Do you want to? I, I don't want to see these fights. I want to see Wilder and Joshua now. Fuck the bullshit. Look, we go back and forth as to the shenanigans um, in the promoting realms of Sir Eddie Hearn. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's just, it's good promoting by Hearn. You know, like he doesn't have anybody. You've mentioned this before on Twitter. I think you've said it on the show before. Like, after that wave of these 12 UK champions that all either fucking vacated, signed with Al Heyman, or disappeared to fucking one fight a year. Right. I don't even know how many own belts anymore, right? A couple are in old Frank's pockets. <laughs> exactly. You know, my point being is this, is that, you know, you said it. Who else does Eddie Hearn have after fucking Anthony Joshua and a, a faded Kell Brook? Nobody. No. Who does he have in the heavyweight division to be a rival within his own stable? Nobody. Apparently, he's got some options on Jarrell Miller now. but Okay, well, that's fine. That's new, and that is going to have to develop. Right. You know what I'm saying? 
um, there's as much likelihood of, of Wilder getting a fight immediately as Jarrell Big Baby Miller. Oh, yeah. But Dillian White is being promoted in a way to make him valuable to be an option for Jarrell Miller. And look, if Deontay Wilder doesn't want to take that fucking stepping stone role with, with you know, Dillian White because of his perception of himself and his own value, that's fine. I, I think in that case, he should value himself more than Dillian White. No mm. doubt about it. Yes. But it doesn't matter. They're setting Dillian White up to be whoever is going to be the next fight for Anthony Joshua. There's conversations that Eddie Hearn's having with Joseph Parker's camp. Oh, he's tall. He's he's two. He's double timing this weekend, according to him. Exactly. And look, I'm telling you right now, it is far more likely either Jarrell Miller, Deontay Wilder, or Joseph Parker. They're all being offered the same exact thing. Fight Dillian White. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whoever fights Dillian White gets the shot at Anthony Joshua. And that's it to put their guy over to bring more show that way. Either way. Dillian White doesn't know it, right. but he's being used as a pawn. And guess what? Much in the same way that Robert Guerrero has benefited <laughs> from, from his relationship with Al Heyman, the human Dillian shield. White will too. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, the, the human shield. I, look, man, I mean, I get it. It's a, it's a business move, and Eddie Hearn's a smart businessman. You'll hear me say all kinds of shit about the... Let's just call him the fucking prince that was promised at this point, Ken. King Albert himself. He's going to save the fucking sport of boxing, according to a lot of people, right, that really don't pay attention that well, in my opinion. I I, I get it. You know, he's making a smart business move on his end. If Dillian White, which is a very, you know, as bad as I say Dillian White is, it's a very good possibility that he could beat Deontay Wilder. And in Eddie Hearn's case, uh. It, it, it makes just as much money as a Wilder fight does. It's probably it's, more. It's not, yeah. Especially it, if he beats Wilder. Yes, if, it, if, if it's a rematch of White and Joshua and and, jo- and White's coming off a knockout of Wilder, of course that fight's going to be fucking huge in the U.K. The, the best thing Eddie Hearn has going for him with Joshua is he really doesn't fucking need America. He doesn't need him. Well, <laughs> th- there's no American viewership that's doing anything to add any fucking bit of value, maybe a, a little bit. I don't know what Showtime's paying, but it ain't that fucking much. No, their bread is buttered off the gate. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, they get, you know, decent pay-per-view numbers for Joshua, better than decent, as it is relative, you know, towards the population of the sporting public in the United Kingdom as right. it compares to the United States. Right. There's no doubt about it. But, dude, I'm telling you right now, the gate is all that matters. <clears throat> and if you can fill 70,000 into a stadium against a fucking replacement fighter, yeah, you know, we talked about it last week. You and I both know, and most of our listeners know, that Carlos Takam is a top probably 7 to 10 ranked heavyweight in the world. Mm-hmm. But all those 70,000 that Eddie Hearn panders to, they don't know Kubrat Pulev from Carlos Takam, from Marius Wok, from who gives a fuck. Yeah, n- nor do they care. No. If it's not Dillian White or uh, Tyson Fury or I don't know, <laughs> you know, the handful or three or four heavyweights they may know around the world, including Deontay Wilder, it really doesn't matter. So they know. And it's the frustration we see in the promotion, you know, trying to establish a rematch between Canelo and Triple G. You just know that... When people in this sport as easy, look, the, the fractured nature of boxing makes it easy for power players to maneuver 
in and out of the little caverns and the paths and the tunnels of boxing. Right. Right. It gives them safe passage through the most dangerous parts. Right. Mm -hmm. Canelo and Joshua are able to pretty much say whatever they want to, to leverage whatever situation they want. Right. Anthony Joshua knows, listen, I could sit here as young as I am. I don't know. The shine hasn't fucking worn off of me yet. I can sit over here and milk this for three or four more fights. These idiots will never notice. No. They'll all show up. They will not. And look, hopefully, uh, apparently, you know, this weekend, Eddie Hearn is negotiating with with Shelly Finkel and Al Heyman uh, on on a Wilder fight and Team Parker on a a fight with, with Joseph Parker. Are we gonna ha- are we gonna get an answer after this weekend or no? Hell no, we ain't gonna hear nothing. Parker's and fight- all this could lead to a fight with neither one of them. That's this all could just be posturing from all three fucking sides here. As, as, I, as, as, I'm as, hearing Lucas Brown and Joseph Parker is a is is a good possibility as well. So yeah, I mean, dude, as soon as those statements are made, right? As soon as Wilder goes on his fucking two week diatribe leading up to the fucking fight. Uh, you know, against Stavern in the rematch, uh, great, you know, all this groundwork's being laid. Okay, it's official WBC, come out uh, two days before the fight, before the weigh-in, before, she get, you know, shit gets too crazy. Say subtly that Brazil versus Molina is going to be the fucking mandatory to Deontay Wilder. We'll get real fucking loud immediately after. No, yeah. Nobody will notice. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Hearn's like, we're negotiating with everybody. Meanwhile, BoxingScene.com has pictures of fucking Lucas Brown and his fucking shaved fangs. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they're saying, oh, Joseph Parker versus Lucas Brown. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So we're going to get, here's what we're going to get. We're going to get uh, Anthony Joshua versus whoever. Probably Kubrat Pulev. Okay, probably Pulev. Fine, Pulev. Okay, Deontay Wilder versus Dominic Brazil probably in January or February, mm-hmm. right? And Joseph Parker versus Lucas Brown. It's and funny it, how it all, like, everything lined up. Like, they all, not only did the the possibility of the, the, you know, of any one of these three fights happening between Joshua and Parker, Joshua and Wilder, they all just simultaneously, all three lined up their backup plans that same weekend. Oh, I got my number two, bitch, on, on hold here. They're already standing nose to nose. She's easy. Squaring off. She's easy. She's cheap. I'll take her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fucking crazy, dude. It is. Yeah, And not to mention, not only does that happen, but the WBA introduces their, their fucking clean boxing program oh, yeah? and swiftly announces that the WBA mandatory for Anthony Joshua, which is Luis Ortiz, who didn't test positive in their program, but did in the WBCs, is... Immediately suspended for a year, but no, was there, was there any other announcement for any other fighter that tested positive in the last year and any other program being suspended for a year? Did I miss that? No, no. he's being blackballed from the Yes, sport. he is. <laughs> and of course, I mean, it's just everything fucking lines up. You're not, we're not going to get what we want right away. They're going to make us wait. They, they all think they can build the heavyweight division up to bigger than what it is. What I'm telling all of them motherfuckers, they're stupid. Make the fights happen now. If one good fight in any one of those mixed and match fights will make it bigger. It's going to take a good fight between two guys in, the, in this conversation to make it worth the mega bucks that they think and, and they want. It's not going to take, uh, you know, fucking shitty interim bouts 
in, in, in the end term of having a good fucking fight in the heavyweight division. Well, Vin, it just kind of keeps you take this heavyweight division situation that seems to be, uh, I don't know, fucking predetermined yeah. by the powers that be. Couple this with um, a couple of these Al Heyman UK fighters going the road of Frank Warren and bullshit fights right. in a land of fucking make believe. Um, Keith Thurman and the welterweight division being MIA, right? Only Errol Spence seeming to have anything fucking planned on the horizon. <clears throat> You're going to have to tell me that 2018 is going to have, it's just going to be the most backloaded schedule in the history of boxing where everything's going to take place between fucking November and December. No, that's not going to happen. So what you're telling me after the moral of this fucking story to take a big fucking heaping dump on my mm -hmm. birthday, <laughs> you know what I mean? And on top of everybody that's fucking listening right now is 2018 is shaping up to be a big coiled up dookie. I was going to say it's it's shaping up like a coil. All right. It, it, it's I mean, last year around this time leading into this year, you started to hear about all of these bouts and, and announcements in the first quarter of the year filling up. We got nothing. Nothing. We got nada. We got a bunch of fucking talk everywhere. Everybody's fucking blah, blah, I'm fighting him, I'm fighting this, I'm fighting that. Ain't nobody doing shit. Everybody's, it's a year, we're going to call, I'm already going to coin, 2018 will be the year of rebirth of the fighter. Not the sport, the fighter. Mm. Which will then you know, set the stage for another four years of fucking famine in the world of boxing. <laughs> Look, man, boxing, you know, we had a good year. I'm, you know, I'm as cynical as it comes when, 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 when talking about this sport. But all the sport did was poke its head out of the groundhog hole, and we're going right back down, baby. Straight turtling. <laughs> Push it out. Don't suck it back in. <laughs> Dude, in 2024, we're going to be like, this is the best year of boxing since 2017. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Spence finally beat Thurman. Yeah. 2018 is going to be the fucking sequel to Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> Jeez. <clears throat> All right. So the heavyweight division, well, they keep talking. Yep. So I guess we'll wait to see exactly what happens. But let's get to the rest of this and uh, through the previews. So the co-feature for Deontay Wilder versus Berman Stavern. Sean Porter squared off against Adrian Granados in a WBC eliminator to become the mandatory challenger to Keith Thurman. Keith Thurman is in Nepal somewhere on his honeymoon. Sean Porter versus Adrian Granados. Vince, without, you know, implementing some kind of Chinese torture onto our listeners, I just want to say the, you know, sort of the conclusion I've come to at the end of Sean Porter versus Adrian Granados. I briefly tweeted it out, but here is the, um, the, the long version. I like Sean Porter as an individual. I think he has a great personality. I think his family dynamic is great with his dad. He's one of the hardest workers in boxing. I think he's been one of the most poorly promoted and poorly treated boxers of the mm -hmm. last probably three or four years in boxing. His association with Al Heyman has basically been an elongated, torturous sort of uh, evolution into a gatekeeper. It almost seems to be purposely made right. that he would be turned into some kind of an opponent. That's fine. Some people in boxing throughout history, there's always been those guys in the divisions over, you know, three, four, five-year stretches throughout, you know, 100-plus years in the history of the sport. 
that have made their way into that category. I, you know, I saw this coming for Sean Porter. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, as you said many times, you know, it is written. But here's the thing. This fight against Adrian Granados took my opinion of Sean Porter and completely flushed it down the toilet. He has literally become, and I'm going to say this, it may be a blanket statement. I don't really give a fuck. Sean Porter is probably the hardest fucking fighter to watch in boxing. It has become so unbelievable. I've been giving so many benefits of the doubt based off of how I feel about the guy personally that has jaded my perspective, and now it has completely turned 180, man. This is an about face on my opinion about Sean Porter. He is god-awful to watch. Mm -hmm. He has never learned to clean up his style, his aggression, his just Un, it's just uncontrollable. It's it's it's. There's no rhyme or reason. The dude, he doesn't just smother his punches. He smothers his ability to be a viable fighter in boxing. And you know what? As much as and you stated it, and what you liked about Sean Porter and his relationship with his father and how tight they are, but is Kenny Porter a true boxing trainer? Is is he able? I mean, honestly, I have to think like if. If Sean Porter, you know, would have went with Bob Arum eight years ago, he w- I, I, I just envisioned him more and gotten with a good trainer, a, a legit trainer. I could have envisioned a Tim Bradley-esque type of career for him. Sure. But it's, he's just floundered away, and his style has – there's been no nuance added to his game whatsoever. It's, it's become monotonous just watching his fights – they're, they all look the same. I I fucking hope to God. I real. I, I mean, it's gonna happen. Thurman Porter too is going to happen. And and it Al, is written. Yeah, and, and Al Heyman in the PBC's eyes, that is a big fight for them. And I get it. It it will do good numbers. It will sell again. People will watch it. But there's a large, large contingent of fucking diehard boxing fans that want nothing to do with that fight. Will I watch it? Yeah, was it entertaining? All right, sure. Yeah, it was it was an entertaining fight. But not for a second when I walked away from that fight did I say I want to see a rematch. It just and and Sean Porter's just become a fighter where you don't even get excited when his fights come around anymore. You really don't. And I'll be honest with you, I thought, you know, in this fight did he win clearly? Absolutely he won. But I mean, he, if if Porter was as good as he was and the and the way bigger man in this fight, he should have been able to ha- handle an Adrian Granados a little bit better than he did. He just is what he is, man. He's a B level to B plus level on a good night fighter against the best top three in the world. He he just he he's, he's a little he comes up short. He just does. There's not enough boxing skill acumen, whatever the fuck you want to call it. It just doesn't exist for him, for him to beat the best in the world. He's got a, you think he's got a lick of timing? He just fucking uh, goes. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's awful. Um, Adrian Granados, look, if if he were a career welterweight, you know what I mean? If, this, if, if, it, if Adrian Granados had fought his last four, five, six fights at 147 pounds, those right hands that he was catching Sean Porter with, and he caught him with some quick, yeah. 
right crosses to the fucking temple as Sean Porter was ducking away from a bigger, more established fighter in that weight class. If that was Danny Garcia hitting Sean Porter as cleanly with right hands, if that was Keith Thurman or Errol Spence hitting him that blindly and that cleanly with right hands, Vince, mm-hmm. he'd have been knocked the fuck out. I think the only, yeah, maybe the only thing that he has going for him is he does seem to have a pretty good chin. His chin is held up in, a, in every fight he's been in. Look, but that look, only lasts so long, and we all know that. Bringing up Adrian Granados from a lower weight class, bringing up Adrian Broner yes. from a lower weight class, it makes the chin look strong. Right. And, and no. remember, Broner fucking clipped him. Yeah, he did. He did drop him. Flash knockdown, of course, which, hey, is that going to make a return anytime soon, Ken? I got to agree with a lot of the sentiment out there, Vin. I would rather see Adrian Granados fight forward than Sean Porter. I'd rather see Granados versus Keith Thurman. I, I, I 100% would rather see that fight. I'll be 100% honest with you. Granados, to me, has become an entertaining fighter. And even in that fight, uh, you know, as, as as just tiresome and monotonous as that fight became, I still view Granados as a as an asset and a guy that you could put him on any card, pay-per-view, anywhere against a good opponent. He is going to deliver a good fucking fight, a, a fight that fans get their money's worth just out of that on any undercard. He's a, the perfect undercard fighter. He'd whoop Paulie Malinaji's ass. Oh, he would have. <laughs> he would have whooped the prime Paulie, in my opinion. Um. All right, let's get away from this because I'm going to fall asleep. Yeah. Um, Sergey Lipnets versus Akahiro Kondo for the vacant IBF junior welterweight title. Um, you and I had predicted a uh, decisive victory for Lipnets, and it ended up being a lunch pail performance for him to get through Kondo. But we yeah. also spoke about, dude, when you get in the ring with a fucking Japanese fighter, good luck to you, <laughs> dude. You're in for fucking hell. Yeah, I, I don't know who's got a harder facial structure, them or a, or a Mexican fighter, but goddamn, I mean, the guys just eat just fucking warrior spirit. They just eat punches, man. They they just keep coming at you, and you know, Kondo to me. <laughs> Towards this, towards the latter half of that fight, that was his fight. The last three, four, you know, I'll say the rounds from seven to ten, eleven, dude, that was his fight, man. I was fucking shocked. And what I noticed about Lipinets that I did not expect to see, and we saw more of a more aggressive attacking puncher's style from him previous to this. He kind of slapped and moved and boxed in this fight. And it did, just didn't seem like he was sitting down on his punches at all. He knew he couldn't get him out of there, dude. Yeah, I, I think you're right. He had to he had to adapt the style to just to survive and 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 win the fight on points. He's, you know, he's still a good fighter. He, he's got skills. Um, he's lucky Terrence Crawford moved on. I, I, I before that fight, I said I'd like to have seen him and Crawford. Crawford would have ate his fucking lunch. <laughs> yeah, touche. Yeah. Touche. All right. Um, also, uh, November 4th weekend on HBO from Monte Carlo, Dimitri Bivol versus Trent Broadhurst as HBO gets um, into, uh, you know, the outreaches and the future potential of the 175-pound division, the WBA light heavyweight title on the line. Dimitri Bivol did what we thought he would do mm-hmm. a little earlier, yeah. but, you know, than we thought he would do it. But here is the highlight of this very quick blip. I mean, I literally sat down, took a sip of my beer, and got up. That's how long this fight lasted. Mm -hmm. What made my night, though, even more so than the hyperbole of the accomplishment of the, oh, my God, the the, the fucking Deontay Wilder fucking fight, (laughs) right? 
the greatest thing about this fight was is that Max Kellerman literally got flustered, pissed off, and frustrated because he was in the middle of his bullshit opening monologue where he states all the irrelevant background information that he learned about in the pre-fight interview about Dimitri Bivol. It was almost like the tone in his voice at first was like, oh, he's heated because he didn't get to his point. But then I thought deeper, and I was like, he's actually heated at Dimitri Bivol for stealing his thunder. (laughs) It was awesome. Oh, man. I I saw your tweet. Dude, it was perfect because you're exactly right. It was like, oh, my God, here he fucking goes already. Already. A minute and <laughs> a half into the fight. He's such a fucking bitch, dude. God, man. <laughs> Thank you, Dimitri Bivol. That's all I'll say. Oh, it was awesome. What do you think about Bivol? Is he... Uh, is he's he, still is got he, some shit to prove, man. He's got a little Triple G in him, though, man. He does. He does. I mean, you can't help but just, just looks-wise, you know, assimilate the two together, but... But he's got a lot to work on, man. He 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 does. I mean, I, I, the power is real. There ain't no doubt about that. But I mean, who was Trent Broadhurst? <laughs> I have no idea. It was this guy? I mean, you know, they're trying to paint the picture of him being a warrior and all this crap leading into the fight. Oh, no. Who is he? What a financial bust for HBO. <laughs> I hope Bivol pans out. They put him on TV for thirty seconds in a fucking casino. Where I think Casino Royale was actually filmed for fucking 007, (laughs) and there was 30 people there. uh, Yeah, you know, I I get it. I guess it's the prestige of fighting in Monaco, but could there be a more... Boxing fans don't know Monaco from anything but 007. Could could there be more fucking sterile environment for a fight? I mean, for Christ's sake. (laughs) Did you wear your black tie or your (laughs) white tie, man? I mean, come on, that's just not... It was. It's just miss. It's missing something. We don't need that shit. I get it. That would have been a lot of fucking money there. Well, you look. That scene would have been fantastic had it been like Roy Jones Jr. versus Big Show. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And and they're filming a fucking scene for a Adam Sandler movie. Right. Uh, Trent Broadhurst. Good job, bud. Yep. Um, all right, uh, November 2nd, ESPN 2, Jesus Soto Carras versus Juan Carlos Abreu. Uh, Soto Carras has been a great opponent and a great gatekeeper for the last five years. He has had a really good career for himself, one of the tough guys in the sport. Uh, I would like to formally say goodbye to Jose <laughs> Jesus Soto Carras. Please do not come back to boxing. He's a fighter that was, let's, let's face it, Ken, he's never the same after Keith Thurman put that beating on him. <laughs> I was going to say comma guy. But <laughs> nah, Keith Thurman, baby. Keith Thurman may have, may have like, punched him onto the ledge. Comma guy knocked him off the fucking ledge. No, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, that fight was a little too much. <laughs> All right, let's get to what interests us most that was on this card. Um, top prospect Ryan Garcia uh, versus Cesar Valenzuela. Don't blink, Ken. Jeez, man. What do you think about Ryan Garcia's hand speed? It's fucking incredible. I haven't been this excited for a young fighter in quite some time. I'll say the last time I was was probably three years ago for Felix Verdejo, and that flamed out like a fucking, I mean, Jesus Christ, the wind's out of that sail. Yeah. Uh, This kid is just amazing, man. Uh, The speed and quickness and the the snap power that he landed in that left hook to get the knockdown. I I know he's fighting a bum. I get it. He's fighting a stiff, a, a record patter. But either way, you have to like what you see with your eyes with this kid. It's fucking amazing, man. 
I think he has all the intangibles. I do think it's a little bit early. I mean, yeah. we, you know, we've learned our lesson along the way, but dude, for a a classic style fighter to have such hand speed, um, such poise, keeping it all together, there's nothing. His electrifying aspects of what he does isn't outside of a a solid foundation. Right. I think a lot of what Ver, you know Verdejo did was a lot of shock and awe. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Outside of what it takes to be a great boxer, solid foundation, heart, determination, work ethic, all these things. Ryan Garcia seems to have all of it. Oh, yeah. So I think that his foundation um, leading forward as to where Golden Boy takes him, as to where his career takes him, I think they will guide him correctly. Um, I think that Ryan Garcia's future is bright, and I wouldn't be surprised that if in the next two or three years Ryan Garcia is lifting some hardware. Yeah, I mean, it's looking like from what I'm reading and what I'm hearing, he's going to fight again 2017. He's going to be one of the main focuses for Golden Boy Promotions in 2018. And they're going to they're gonna put some juice behind this kid. And quite frankly, I can't blame him. I, you know, it, it's only a matter of time. The kid's 5'10", fighting at 130 pounds. I think they want to get him a belt pretty quickly because he ain't going to be able to make – he's 19 years old. He's making 130. He is going to be one of these fighters that quickly, 135, 140, 147 is probably where he'll end up. They're going to they're gonna try to stack up a belt pretty quick here, I think, for him. I, dude, I think he 2019, early 2019, mid 2019, I would not be surprised to see this kid 23 and 0, 24 and 0, and fighting for a belt. I don't disagree, and 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 I don't think that you know it's necessarily you know convenient or every fighter has to make that you know those jumps to the weight class. If 147 is the inevitable stopping place where he really makes his mark or whatever mm-hmm. on the way through these weight classes. It is kind of convenient though. Let's be honest that the biggest names that say 135 pounds, which is a nice little glamor division before you get to 147, right? right. That is a stack division. Um, you know, guys like Mikey Garcia, uh, guys like Jorge Linares, they'll be long gone oh, yeah. out of 135 pounds. So 130, not too stacked of a division, right? No. no. Then you move into 135 and the stalwarts will probably be moved on retired aging aging right. whatever it is 147 let's be honest if these guys don't get fucking moving by the time ryan garcia gets there <laughs> in two or three years ain't gonna be anybody left it's gonna be ryan garcia and fucking terrence crawford yeah i mean there's not they're not gonna rush the kid obviously but it's hard not to as a boxing fan watch him and not rush his career in your head yeah to where you want him yeah well moral of the story is keep an eye out right for Ryan Garcia. All right, fight preview this weekend, Vin. Danny Jacobs versus Luis Arias. The rebirth, the reincarnation. Um, is you this know, part four? Is this Danny Jacobs' uh, re- re- reboot four, or what is it? This is Danny Jacobs uh, meets Shakespeare because Peter Nelson <laughs> and his waxing poetic, you know, the, the great poet of boxing himself will be putting his Harvard hands on the cancer story um, the survival story that is now years and years gone by um, has went through six or seven different versions along the way. Mark Kriegel's goatee has changed numerous times. Um, <laughs> the length and height of his turtlenecks as well have changed many times. He's, he's gone mock to full. Yes, he has, and back to mock. <laughs> um, I think he's wearing a V-neck now. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Um, now Peter Nelson gets his hands on it. Look. 
all fairness to Danny Jacobs, I'll, I haven't watched the new HBO special. I've been hearing some commentary on it about how, you know, Danny Jacobs, you know, it, it's like people are back to being reinvigorated about the hopes of this guy who seemingly over the last six years has had six rebirths as he fights once a year. Well, they, they ain't buying tickets. No, I, I, I don't like, I don't know. Should I watch the HBO rebirth version? I'm sure Lee Schreiber will fucking dictate it well. I'll tell you why, you, why I think you should watch it. Because Luis Arias is a little bit better than everybody thinks, and I think he's going to make this fight a better fight than anybody expects. In my opinion, this is going to be... So he's better than Sergio Mora? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, he's definitely better than Sergio. The kid's been in kind of floating in purgatory here with, with Rock Nation not getting fights for a few years and just being promoted horribly. The kid can fight. I'm telling you right now, I would not be surprised if you hear arguments coming out of this fight that Luis, they think Luis Arias won the fight. Really? But there ain't, there ain't no way unless he dominates or knocks Danny Jacobs out as he walking out of there with beating Eddie Hearn's new fucking, his new prize piece for Matchroom USA Boxing. Ain't happening. No, sir. So the scorecards will say? 7-5 to 8-4. Danny Jacobs maybe an even card to make it look somewhat uh, respectable, but there ain't no way, dude. So you think uh, Eddie's like, uh, Danny, knock this motherfucker out. Well, I think Eddie's going to quickly learn after this weekend that, um, all right, if I don't, if I can't somehow make uh, Golovkin Jacobs too, boy, did I fuck this up royally. Because he is, he's not going to make the same fucking money over here. And yet you're, you're going to put in the same time and the same effort when you can just go back over to the UK and put a fight on and fucking Cardiff fucking Wales or whatever. Have a fucking Ricky Burns, Tommy Coyle fucking rematch. I don't, whatever the fuck you want to do over there. Fight whoever against whoever and make money. It's not that easy here. Mismatches against no names yeah. in the U.S. No, we, we're not falling for no. Doesn't work. TBA is not is no good here. I mean, it is for a Heyman fan. If you're a PBC fan, PB, uh, TBA is right up your alley. You're good to go. You can deal with that. You see him dominate Tibba. <laughs> <laughs> but we, I'm sorry, the the dialed in boxing fan over here, which there ain't nearly as many. Uh, they're they're not having it, man. It, it's going to take a little bit more than that. Yeah, I mean, look, he can, you know, be Stephen from Braveheart. He says, it's my island. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Stephen is my name, you know? <laughs> Eddie is my name. It's my island. Right. You're off the island with this one. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, Danny Jacobs has been a tough sale. If you're going to um, be successful and, 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 I guess, relaunching for the, you know, half dozen time, the career of Danny Jacobs, you need to be creative with this and you need to be assertive. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe there is something lined up for, you know, in the immediacy early 2018, Danny Jacobs gets the winner of Billy Joe Saunders and uh, David Lemieux. Right. You know, maybe he gets the Canelo Shit. fight. Canelo in getting that, boy. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I don't see Triple G having a rematch with Danny Jacobs before he gets another shot at Canelo. I just don't see that happen. And I see G facing the winner of Billy Joe Saunders. Um, and David Lemieux before I, I do Danny Jacobs. Right. Because let's be honest, Sir Edward may have four HBO cards lined up for the rest of the year. G pulls the strings at HBO now. 
Oh, yeah. He, <laughs> the budget works around yeah. what he wants to do. Yeah, Danny Jacobs has no pull, and neither does Sir Edward. And bringing these lopsided fucking A-side versus TBAs here, nah. shit don't play. Nope. Um, especially, uh, well, I shouldn't say especially, but, you know, Danny Jacobs has had, he's a good guy, he's a good fighter, he has been poorly promoted, and, yeah. and I think to Danny Jacobs' detriment, the fact that Danny Jacobs bought into people like Lou DiBella and Al Heyman um, leaves a little fucking mold on the edge, man. You know what I mean? It does. It, you know, you got mold on the crust. You're going to take the crust off and just eat the bread. You know <laughs> what I mean? exactly right, yes. Or you're going to throw it away like I do. But that's past the expiration date, and that's the real question about Danny Jacobs is when does the expiration date come with him? He looked good against Golovkin. But I think he got some fucking even Luis Arias in his press conference said he got participation points. Uh, and I agree 100 percent. I, I, you know, I feel like anybody watching that fight, even myself as a Golovkin fan, was surprised that seeing somebody do so well that they it was graded on a fucking curve. I don't care what you say. I'm admitting that I did. I more than likely I, I just couldn't help. But, uh, oh, my God, this guy's doing better than anybody else has ever done against Triple G, he must be winning some of these rounds, right? Yeah, he won that round. No, that was like an 8-4 fight, 7-5, with a knockdown involved. Pretty fucking solid win, right? You know, I'm sorry. This fight, in my opinion, is risky. And will he walk out the winner? Yes, but Luis Arias is going to make everybody go, Hmm, maybe Danny Jacobs is that guy who struggled with Sergio Mora. There you have it. I don't have a prediction for this fight. Yeah, I, you I, know. I probably won't watch it. I really don't give a fuck about this fight. You know, DVR. Let me know who he's fighting next, Eddie. Yeah, Let, let's see where that takes us. All right, co-feature, Jarrell Big Baby Miller versus Marius Walk. We kind of talked about this before. Um, Jarrell Miller, yeah, hey, look, this is great. Um, if you're being utilized into future matchups with... Um, you know, the likes of Anthony Joshua and whoever may be, if you're going to be promoted, um, you know, with the same potential, not this Dillian White over-exaggeration, like turn him into more than what he is. If Eddie Hearn sees value in Jarrell Miller, I'll believe there's, in the path after this. There's your opponent for Dillian White right there. That's if, fine. If Jarrell Miller beats Marius Wach, there's your opponent for Dillian White. Perfect fucking fight. But I don't want to see Jarrell Miller turn into Dillian no, White. No, 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 no. You know what I'm saying? No. And I don't want to see this turn into a Luis Ortiz situation where a valuable... Look, Jarrell Miller is not only kind of a physical freak in the ring mm-hmm. because of his size, because of his background. This guy is a fucking A-side personality. Yeah. This guy is boxing's version, or could be, if his talent will get him to the stage, if he gets the same shots as... Other people that have been able to bring their personality to the stage, I'm telling you right now, Jarrell Miller, his personality, his interviews, his potential on the mic is better than Conor McGregor's. This dude is a fucking trip. He is. He is. And you're right. If he gets the chance, he should be able to build a pretty nice fucking career for himself. Because, look, I think he's good enough. I'm not going to say to to beat any of the heavyweight champions right now, but he's good enough to make it a fight with all three of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I just, look, for Jarrell Miller, because he's been coming off of, you know, cer- you know, sort of obscurity, developmental, coming over from kickboxing, spending a lot of time on right. on, on Showbox, 
I'll give this one a pass. Well, you know what Eddie likes to do. You know, perceived threats get signed and shelved. <laughs> yeah. That's my biggest fear. It really is my biggest fear. All right. Um, moving on with the fight preview from Fresno, California on ESPN. It is Jose Ramirez versus Mike. Yes, indeed. Reed. Um, Artur Baturbiev versus Enrico Colling for the vacant IBF light heavyweight title in the co-feature. W- one comment about this. People may not know who Jose Ramirez is here on the East Coast of the United States. Mm-hmm. They probably know who Mike Reed is more than they do Jose Ramirez. Yeah. Let me give you an indictment. Let me place the indictment on American boxing. And this is no disrespect to Jose Ramirez. Please. This is no disrespect to Jose Ramirez because for who he is, his talent level, and his future in the sport as an honest observer of where we are now and where I think the sport is going, no disrespect to Jose Ramirez. This is an indictment on U.S. boxing. Jose Ramirez is the number one box office attraction for any American fighter living today. And that is a fact. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. I, you know, I'm not thinking about that coming into this week. And, and our, our buddy Angelo from Cheap Seats reminded everybody on Twitter of that exact fact, fact a few days ago. And that's the kid fucking sells. I don't know what the promotion is of this kid down there or what he does to create the buzz that he creates in that area. But good God, man. I mean... The, the guys, he's a he's a barely above prospect status, and and still really is. He's on the come up in the sport, and he is packing a fucking arena. Fourteen, fifteen thousand, three, four, five thousand more in attendance than a Deontay Wilder heavyweight championship. I mean, fight. a Lomachenko fight. I, I, you could name a this guy. I I can't believe the numbers that he does. And guess what? On top of it, he's an entertaining fighter. I don't know his ceiling. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell everybody that this kid is going, you know, a future two weight division champion and a, and a future Hall of Famer. No, but I, I think he's a he's got a future of some entertaining fights and probably a career that will flame out a little bit early because of the style that he fights in. But he'll entertain you in the ring, that's for sure. Oh, dude, if he depending on what his cut of the gate is. He's got to be the most financially secure prospect without a Verdejo-esque signing bonus. Yeah, you're no, you're exactly right. I, I give him credit for being able to do what they've done with that kid. What do you think about his chances against Mike Reed? We've seen Mike Reed live a few times. Yeah, I, you know, I just recently saw Reed on the Lomachenko, uh, what's his face undercard, uh, Sosa undercard. Yeah, and we saw him in Turning Stone on the undercard of Matisse and Provodnikov. Right, uh, look. I've been very underwhelmed live by Mike Reed. Solid fighter, don't get me wrong. Solid boxer, but there's not much to him. He kind of likes to shell up a little bit and and throw one punch at a time. He's not a real heavy puncher. He can be beaten very easily. And the type of fighter that Ramirez is, it's going to be a good fight because Ramirez will come at him and Reed will be able to land some clean one-punch shots, and it'll be an entertaining fight. A tough one for for Reed to win on the road, especially with that style against a volume puncher. If he doesn't somehow hurt him and knock him out, this fight's a a unanimous decision for Ramirez, in my opinion. I agree. Let's move to the co-feature, Vin. Um, It's the return of the uh, often injured 
late starting to the pro game uh, Russian phenom, Artur Baturbiev, uh coming up as he made sort of his debut with Heyman, uh, the PBC, in the United States, already into his early 30s, seemed to be on his path to making a meteoric rise. We remember the, you know, sort of, I don't know if it was a coming-of-age fight, but it was like, look, motherfuckers, I'm here fight. Right. Was the fight against Divorce Cloud. Yeah. Remember that fight? Yes, that was violent, quick. It ended very quickly, and everybody was like, holy shit. Um, yeah, that gatekeeper just turned into fucking stepping stone. Yeah. You know, in a few punches. Now, Baturbiev's, you know, seemingly disappeared into Bolivian just because of just constant injuries, being a part of the PBC program, no 175 pounders disputes, to face. Disputes with Yvonne Michelle over contracts. And- exactly. Now finds himself in the warm embrace of Bob Arum on, uh, <laughs> on, on ESPN. Um, and hey, what better way to be embraced than to get that uh, elusive title shot on your first fight with top rank? Artur Baturbiev squares off against Enrico Colling for the vacant IBF light heavyweight title. Over under, Vin? Uh, Three and a half minutes. Yeah, I was going to say, I was gonna say <laughs> two and a half rounds. <laughs> Three and a half minutes. I'll tell you what this fight is. This is a... A olive branch extended from Bob Arum to a fighter that's probably going to do some damage in the light heavyweight division for the next two years and say, look, son, we want you to come fight for us, and we're willing to serve you up Enrico Koleg. Yeah, who cares? Enrico. Enrico. Suave. Come come get this cheap belt, and uh, we'll pay you for it, and you're going to fight for us after that. How's that sound? It's only going to last two or three years. Yeah, no, yeah, look, and, and how much is there, you know, Baturviev's style is fucking awesome, but he's 32 years old already? Oh, yeah, he just becomes more and more of a mark. Yeah. You know? I mean, look, inactivity is one thing for Adonis Stevenson while you're doing sit-ups in a fucking bathroom stall of a McDonald's. You know, you, those, you know, sort of protections and guarantees um, aren't necessarily going to be the the way of joining the ranks right. of Bob Arum. I don't think Bob Arum gives shelter to any fucking 33-year-old guys who haven't done anything yet. No, he's looking for some talent to put on TV that'll make him some money. 175 is explosive. 175 is, um, I mean, is literally, it's on the cusp, you know what I mean? Right. It is. Uh, There's just not even half an American in there. T- no. I, <laughs> what do they call it? They call it, um, when you're trying to, is it, is it a Kama Sutra thing? Uh, they call it edging. When when you're about to bust a nut and you just fucking, like, <laughs> you train your chi to right. just hold on and hold on and hold on and hold on. And then once it happens, the shit goes everywhere. <laughs> That's sort of what 175 pounds is doing right now. And well, I think you said it in the last episode. That's what Kovalev Shabransky's going to be. <laughs> well... That might be a two pump chump. <laughs> right. <laughs> May not be no edging involved there. No, no, but there'll be a, an explosion of yeah. sorts. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, as we step, uh, pivot, um, <laughs> move away from that, I think 175 pounds, like you said on the last episode, is um, really ripe for the likes of Dick Schaefer to get his hands on it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's shaping up that way for sure. Four belts going to be in separate hands. Yeah. Tricky dicks, edging, explosive Russians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is tailor 
made, boy. Somebody call Vivid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. This episode is sponsored by Pornhub.com. <laughs> right. All right. Um, let's move away from that card. Uh, I, I don't really want to talk about this, but I think it is. Um, well, I felt sort of that I had to because at one point in my life, Vin, I thoroughly enjoyed, and it was my go-to beer, Newcastle, the nut brown ale. Right. Um, go-to. Mm-hmm. This fight happens to be in Newcastle. Liam Smith versus Liam Williams. If it's sponsored by Newcastle Nut Brown Ale, I'm down. You might watch. No, I'm not going to watch. <laughs> What's the point of this rematch? Uh, dude, I don't know. The first fight was good, I guess. Was it? Somewhat. Uh, I mean, not on a skill perspective, but a fight perspective. I guess you could say that. Uh, along UK boxing standards for what they need for a rematch? Absolutely. I mean, this is par for the course, my friend. Yeah, especially with the WBO involved, Liam Smith involved. Mm-hmm. This fight is a WBO junior middleweight eliminator. But what it really is is um, once Liam Smith wins, then he will inherit the vacated belt after Miguel Cotto knocks out Saddam Ali in his fairly well. Oh, absolutely. Or he'll be fighting for that vacant belt for sure. Saddam Ali versus Liam Smith. Could you see if Saddam Ali somehow upsets Cotto? No, absolutely not. God. I'd actually favor Liam Smith in that fight. <laughs> I think I might too. Then he may become the greatest of the fighting Smiths. That would be a shocker. Two in the pink, one in the stink? Absolutely. That's the go-to <laughs> move, isn't it? <laughs> that is the fighting Smith's finishing move. <laughs> That's Joe Gallagher's finishing move. <laughs> <laughs> Finish him. (laughs) (laughs) And then then Joe Gallagher goes, oh, I thought this was a puppy. (laughs) (laughs) Me don't like cats. (laughs) Arrogant little buggers. Oh, oh man. All uh, right. Okay. All right. Let's close this real quick, Ben. Do it. Do um, it. We don't need to go too long on this. We talked about this a little bit before as it pertains to the amazing 2018 that's on the horizon. Canelo Alvarez versus Gennady Golovkin, too. Canelo now all of a sudden his camp placing dates as to when they will begin negotiations <laughs> for the fight. Just Gennady- so happens they want to wait and see if Lemieux happens to win first. Exactly. And Golovkin's camp responding saying, well, we have a backup plan because we're not going to fucking sit around in 2018. Meaning, guess what? Canelo got his ass whooped, and Canelo wants G to age two more years. If this fight happens again, it'll be in 2000 motherfucking 19, son. Uh, yeah, it's starting to look more and more like that, which is a fucking shame. It, it, boxing needs that fight. 2018 is going to need that fight, especially if there's not going to be a Joshua Wilder. There's I mean, not shit there's lined not up a, for the first half of the year, man. Dude, yeah, but there's not even, like, one mega fight besides Canelo, Triple G, Joshua Wilder. You can't even, like, produce one in any division it's just not there. What do you tell me, you know, Jorge Linares and Mikey Garcia is going to save 2018? No, no, but it'll it'll be a nice, <laughs> it'll be a good fight. Oh, absolutely. But you know what I'm saying? Like I do. That mega event does not exist, and the sport kind of suffers without at least something like that. If Linares a- Garcia is the best fight of the year. We got problems. <laughs> yeah. We got problems. That's kind of where it's trending. Yeah. So, 
you have always been dead nuts when it comes to predicting the, um, you know, the prospects of Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin's career, especially as it pertains to one another. What say Vince Stradamus? Ah, man, I, I want to say the, the glass half full then thinks it's going to happen in September. But this is boxing, baby, and it ain't going to happen this year. I, I, I'm sorry. I just, I, it's, it's going to be May of 2019, in ah. my opinion. They're going to make Triple G wait. And how, how many more times can Canelo's camp afford to fucking manipulate the story in their favor? You know, I, it, it doesn't make sense People to me. People see through it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. But then you look back at the history of boxing and rematches that have happened of good fights. Rarely do they happen right away in the sport. They have plenty of times. Most of the time, waiting a year is about what you have to do. And it's a shame that that's how it is, but maybe that's how it is. Well, then, I guess we go back to our roots and just kickstart the resistance. 2018 boxing's looking up, huh, Ken? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but we do know that we have at least one more episode in store for you. Yeah. As we'll be back with episode 187. And we'll take it from there. Yeah, one at a time, one day at a time. <laughs> now, the older we get, the harder it becomes to put in what it takes to produce this show for all the listeners. We appreciate all of you tuning in to episode 186 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. For Vince Cummings, I'm Kenny Keith. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. and at Vince Cummings 81. Until next week, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play, and drop by theboxingrant.com today. And Vin is always open for business on Twitter if you want a little back and forth. I'll get you. <laughs> Squash you, son. <laughs> Bring it. Thanks for listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.